0: Today, as you've noticed in your bulletin, I am going to be sharing a little addendum, which is kind of a supplement to our series we just completed called Life at Its Best. And today we want to talk about a little understanding of the mind and body relationship. I'd like for you to take your Bibles before we get into our study and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, just for a moment if you would please. Matthew 11, and a very familiar passage, verse 28, the very end of the chapter, Jesus makes a rather interesting invitation. In verse 28 he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke. In verse 29 he goes on to say. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. He says it again. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Those are things that God is inviting us to experience. Rest in him, rest for our souls, and burdens that are light. Interestingly enough, God says, take my yoke upon you, which would imply something. Are you and I from birth yoked up with something other than Jesus? And as we carry the heavy burdens of life, longing to be free, we reach a point in our maturity where we finally say, God, I'm tired of being yoked up with the old man, with the old flesh, with the old self that's guided by Satan himself continually whipping us into shape. God, I want to be yoked up with someone who can give me rest. And make my burden light. Now if you haven't reached that point yet in your life. I want you to know that Jesus is inviting you to experience that even today. God wants you to change yokes. From the partner you were born with, which is Satan himself. To a brand new partner, that of Jesus Christ. Who will bear your burdens for you. Jesus said cast all your care upon me because I care for you. But our minds unfortunately are in charge of our bodies. And our bodies seem to direct the flow of our thinking if you please. They're sort of tied together from birth. Before I really get into today's study, let me just say at the very outset here that this study actually represents a work in me that's still in progress. In other words, I am not professing to hold all the answers to the issues that I want to address today. But I do know in my heart of hearts that there is a God who is willing to teach us if we're willing to study his word. And he's willing to share with us if we're willing to listen to what he has to say. Now in our last study of Life at Its Best, that five part series that you can now access on the web if you want on our web page we talked about the justifying and sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit. We looked at both our title and our fitness to heaven. Our title being justification and our fitness being sanctification. We also shared that Satan doesn't want us to understand the plan of salvation or the work that God wants to do for us through justification and in us through sanctification. The reason that Satan wants us to be ignorant of these things is because if we were to ever understand them, he knows that we would choose Jesus to be yoked up with. He also knows that Jesus would give us a new heart, a new mind, a new desire And Satan's power would be forever broken. And Satan is bent on keeping us in the dark. And this is why Satan works so hard to keep us in ignorance. However, if we begin to study the plan of salvation or listen to it being preached, Satan will move in, I'm suggesting, beloved, as I've told you before, he'll move in and play the role, if you please, of the Holy Spirit himself. Or he'll play as though he's Jesus Christ. Or he'll come as an angel of light to control, if you please, our new religious experience. In a little magazine called Signs of the Times, written September 24, 1896, I found this little statement. Listen to this Satan does not always appear as a lion. This has reference, you recall, to Peter when he said, Satan as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he might destroy and devour. Listen to this. Satan doesn't always appear as a lion. He has the power to come as a lamb. And then his voice is soft and low. Paul said to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. And what does this demon angel do? As he masquerades as the Spirit of God or as an angel, he instructs us, beloved, on how to live the Christian life. And the reason he has such incredible success in this is because he knows how to take advantage of our minds which are selfish and bent on evil from birth. Let me me say it in this way. Your carnal nature and mine has a natural bent towards sinning which unaided we cannot resist. Satan knowing this takes advantage of us when we want to be born again, whatever that is, and we want to become a Christian, whatever that means. And he immediately says, let me show you how. I'll teach you how to do that. And because our carnal nature, hear me now, because our carnal nature has this natural bent toward doing things that bring it satisfaction, it will then move toward Christianity, no matter what the cost... In order to be blessed or benefited. An important point. We don't understand it, but I'm going to say it again. Our carnal nature, which is in opposition to God, will even come to God that it might receive a greater blessing than had it remained away from God. See, your carnal nature isn't exactly opposed to God, even though he hates God. But if he can get a greater blessing out of being a Christian, he'll go for being a Christian. And we have a lot of people today that are still living in the flesh playing like Christians because they're getting more benefit out of playing the role as a Christian. But I'll tell you a little secret I've discovered that you're going to be lost. In that program Take your Bible if you would and turn with me to a text That verifies what I just said It's in the book of Romans And let's go back if you would please Romans 8 verse 5 It says for those who live according to the flesh And I've asked you this question another way another time But what kind of a nature were you born with? A sinful, fallen nature, a fleshly nature, right? For those who live according to the flesh, that's you and me from birth, that's the only way we know how to live. They set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit, So from birth, you and I set our minds on the things that our natural nature loves, and that's perverted things. But evidently, Paul is speaking about another group of people who have reached a point in their life where they actually are walking in the Spirit. Verse 6 goes on to say, For to be carnally minded, that's the way you and I are born, is death. But to be spiritually minded, whatever that is, is life and peace. Verse 7 goes on to say, because the carnal mind, that mind you and I were born with, is not subject to the law of God, and neither indeed can it be. Therefore, Satan wants to simply let that old carnal mind still be in charge of your body, and he also wants you to profess religion at the same time. And that's why I've told you before, some of you, a number of you before, that going to church is a pain to the old man. But he'll do it if he can get gain for the old man. Some people come to church because it's politically correct. Because there are certain strokes from certain folks, if you go to church and have sort of a religious creed. It plays out good in the political arena. But beloved, going to church and taking the old man with you, you'll never be at peace with God. In Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9, the Bible says that the heart or the mind is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And then it asks the question, who can even know it? Who understands the human heart? We do strange things. And don't even know why we're doing it. We, as parents, correct our children, disciplining them. We used to even occasionally spank them. That's a no no word today. But we used to even, at least, Willie got a few spankings along the way to put him in the narrow way. And Willie learned through the old nature what to do to avoid spankings. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He knew there were certain perimeters that mom and dad had at the home. As long as Willie stayed within those boundaries, his backside was safe. (laughs) And so Willie conformed, you see. He, He said to the old nature, I want you to behave yourself because we're getting into a lot of pain here. And so the old nature got into line, got into step. And the spanking stopped. And Willie became an ideal child. Well, at least in some way. Are you thinking with me? Had Willie changed? No. He simply brought his old nature into control that he might be benefited. See? Willie was looking after number one, himself. He wasn't interested in obeying unless he could get strokes from mom and dad as a result. And that sort of carried over into his Christian walk. The way I got strokes from God was to do what God asked me to do. Because I understand when God punishes, it's forever. I didn't want to go there. And so Willie brought his old nature along with him to church. And Willie said, you've got to get that old man under control, and you've got to do certain things if you want God to bless you you know what, worked for about 40 years in ministry. And then I discovered that it's really not working at all. Because I never received victories. I never really received victories in the area that I was, I was trying to look good and be good, but I never was good, just look good. Oh, now, I was accepted. People accepted me. Why not? They were faking it just like I was. We were all on the same program. All went to the same church. Every Saturday we were there sitting in the same pews. Singing the same songs of victory. But none of us having it. Oh, I shouldn't say none. Because every generation has had a few enix tucked away. Men and women in whom God has full control. According to Romans 8, verse 7 in the Amplified Bible, it says that the mind of the flesh, with its carnal thoughts and purposes, is hostile toward God, for it doesn't submit itself to God's law. Indeed, it cannot, but it will if it can benefit. But it doesn't change. It still hates God. And, beloved, that's what I was finding in my life. God, if I really loved you, wouldn't I obey you? That's what you said in John 14. If you love me, keep my commandments. Well, Lord, I I want to love you, but I'm not seeming to be able to keep your commandments. I've said it before, and I'll say it again this morning. I have no problem loving God. It's His kids I have trouble with. You see, the real proof of loving God is the way we treat one another, right? And I've had a hard time over the years getting along with some of you Now, I say that with a twinkle in my eye because you've had a hard time getting along with me too because when we're walking in the flesh, we don't get along with one another. But we learn to adapt, right? We learn to get along in order to keep peace because peace is more important to the church than factoring it. Beloved, this is why Romans 12, verse 2 says we... Have to be born again We need a new mind We need a new heart As Alex read for us this morning Paul saying there that we needed to be transformed By the renewing if you please The changing of the mind We need to be transformed or changed By the entire renewal of our minds So we might prove what is that perfect will of God For each of us What is God's will for us? May I suggest that is that we might be yoked up with Him, so that we can find rest for our souls, so that we can find the burdens of life literally being light and easy. So what is God's will according to 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 3 to 4? Paul says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification that each of you should know how to control or manage his own body in sanctification and honor. And notice how he closes his letter there in chapter 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, your whole soul, and your whole body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is your body important to God? Evidently. Is your mind important to God? Evidently. But did you notice who it is that sanctifies us? It's God Himself. He sets us apart. He consecrates us. He purifies us. He sanctifies us. He, in other words, beloved, is the one who makes us holy and morally blameless in body and soul and spirit. And that's exactly what he said he would do in 1 John 1 and verse 9. If we confess our sins, evidently that's what we really need to be doing. Not playing church. Not trying to get an extra little stroke for the old man. We're supposed to be confessing our sins that this old man has caused us to do. If we confess our sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and just to, what does it say? Forgive us our sins and, there's another part to that, to cleanse us from what? How much unrighteousness? All unrighteousness. Sounds like he wants to do away with the old man. Not a bad plan. I've had him long enough. Any of you want him? You have your own. I don't want yours either. God's forgiveness. Now listen, I'm just going to take a look at that 1 John 1, 9 one more time and expand on it. God's forgiveness of our sins is His act of justification. But His cleansing us From all unrighteousness and making us holy is his planned process of sanctification. You see, when Willie got into the bathtub as a little boy, he often entered rather dirty. See, you had to know Willie to appreciate him. He never wore shoes when he was a little kid, except when he went to school. But as soon as he was home, shoes came off and he was outside enjoying life the way it was intended to be enjoyed. And when he got into that tub at the end of the day, the tub would change color, and so would Willie. Do you understand what I'm saying? There was a cleansing that took place, but Mama never let Willie out of the tub until she would say to him, have you washed behind your ears? I never could figure out why in the world they did that. I never put dirt behind my ears. It was just an old saying. But did you get everything, is what she was saying. Did you make sure you were squeaky clean? See? It takes time to take a bath. I know, because I used to have to get back in occasionally. (laughs) You see, beloved, while God is wanting to forgive us, so he can begin the process of purifying us, cleansing us, washing us, Satan is wanting to take advantage of our minds and our thoughts so he can control us. He wants to keep us dirty, in other words. Just a little smudge behind the ear. But God wants to purify us totally, wholly thine. And so what is Satan doing behind the scenes? What is it that he's working so hard on? From our last study, you may recall that Satan is working to lead every Christian, that's you and me, every Christian, into one of two extremes. He's doing his best to push us into the fires of fanaticism or into the ice of indifference. And he's done his work well, beloved, on me, and I think he's perhaps done a little of that on you too. I'd like to suggest this morning from my observation and my point of view in my 40 years of ministry and hobnobbing with people, human beings, men, women, boys and girls, just like you and me, I've discovered that the majority of us Christians, and I'm speaking collectively of all faiths, all denominations, all brands right across the board, the majority of Christianity live lives of indifference. Their selfish natures revel in the thought that they have been declared righteous. Did you catch what I said? Their selfish natures, the old man, revels in the idea that they've been declared righteous. They see themselves as having been justified by the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and they feel no need of sanctification or of being cleansed. From their inherited and cultivated tendencies to evil. They feel accepted by God just as they are. And that is all that matters to them. What they fail to understand. Is the rest of the gospel. It is true that Jesus will take anyone who comes to him. Just As they are. Because that, beloved, is the only way we can come to Jesus, just as we are. But Jesus takes us, hear me now, so he can change us by recreating his image anew in us, giving us a new heart and a new mind, making us new men and new women and new boys and new girls who will reflect his image and his likeness to the world. See, God's not satisfied with us when he takes us any more than mommy was satisfied with me when the work or the play was done. It's time for your bath. It's time to take you because I love you, but you're not going to get hugged and tucked into bed until you've been washed up and squeaky clean. Mommy always took me in no matter how dirty I was. Mamas are nice that way. But there was always bath time before bedtime. And I'm suggesting, beloved, in God's great plan, it's the same way. He takes his kids right where they are. And he says, I love you a whole bunch. I love you with all my heart. But it's bath time before bedtime. And Jesus takes us to wash us up and to clean us. In the other extreme, today we find... Millions I'd like to suggest Whose lives are filled with frustration You see those in the life of indifference They're not so frustrated as some of the rest of us They just plain don't worry about getting cleaned up They go to bed dirty But the other extreme Those who are involved in extremism and fanaticism Their lives are filled with frustration without end they're always working and striving and moving forward in the process of their sanctification but they never find what they're longing for they never find the rest that comes only to those who are yoked up with Jesus and have broken away from the yoke and bondage of sin self and Satan they never find it Though they long for it. These folks, beloved, are willing to go to any extreme in order to feel acceptance with God. But they always fall short of the mark. I've been in some of those camps. Even though their great desire and their passion is to be like Jesus. They've taken the old man with them. And tried to reform the old man. And they've gone into every kind of extreme you can imagine out there. To whip the old man into shape. So that he'll behave properly. So that he'll be sanctified and become holy. But beloved, you can't whip the old man into holiness. But you can give the old man to Jesus. And he'll fix him. See, Jesus should be the focus, but I discovered in these individual little pockets, these these holy huddles, we like to call them, happiness doesn't exist. The fruit of the Spirit doesn't really exist. There's a lot of anxiety and stress and tension and frustration as we try to eat right and wear the right kind of clothes and worship in the right style. And have the right theology. And we're miserable. That's the group I'm talking about here, beloved. You see, for years I thought, I thought that when I realized that the body was the temple of God, and I discovered that the Bible talks about those who worship their belly. I always thought that that had to deal with those that were not Christians, those who were not born again, those who were constantly eating whatever they wanted, when they wanted, and how much they wanted. They never had any limits on it, you see. But I was different. I had limits. Not one morsel of food between the lips, between meals. If you want to be holy, and you couldn't mix fruits and vegetables, You couldn't mix wool clothes with silk garments or polyester of any kind. If you want to be like Jesus, you have to let your beard grow. I discovered that looking like Jesus is not the same as being like Jesus. You see, Satan takes one extreme, eat anything, anytime, anywhere, and he takes the other extreme and says, you can't eat anything, anytime, anywhere, unless it's kosher, unless it meets this standard, unless it has this in it, or it doesn't have that in it, and it can't have this, and can't have that, until our whole focus is on food, not the creator of it. Amen. Food becomes our God, and we worship our bellies, and not the God who gave us our system. See, Satan doesn't care. Carry it to one extreme or the other. And beloved, I've been there, done that, and there's no peace, no rest. Both of these groups, those who are indifferent and those who are extreme, are under a grand delusion of the enemy of God. The first group is made to feel their security. They even claim Bible promises for their assurance of salvation. But their experience is a fatal security. For the fruit of the Spirit will never be seen in those who refuse to be sanctified by the Spirit of God. And unlike that first group, the second group, we who have been fanatical on numerous things throughout our lives, the second group never feel secure or at peace. For they've always been working and striving and struggling to overcome. They are continually seeking victory over their inherited and cultivated tendencies to evil. Only to be conquered by them instead. Where is the victory? We've got to pray harder. We've got to pray more. We've got to work harder. We've got to make a bigger commitment to God. We've got to give more. Beloved, if that's what you're trying to do, stop it. And just plain give yourself to Jesus. Say, God, I want you to take my mind. I want you to take my body. I want you to take the whole me, every bit of me, my mind, my soul, my spirit, my attitude. I want you to take my food problems. I want you to take my alcohol problems. I want you to take my tobacco problems. I want you to take my anger problems. I want you to take my sexual problems. I want you to take all my problems. God, I want you to take me. And I don't want to hold anything back. I just want Jesus to be glorified. Amen. Oh, how quickly God will put the yoke of Himself upon us and carry our burdens, and there'll be light. They'll be loved. Satan's grand delusion centers in this fight between faith and works. Which is it? Faith. Or works? And my answer is, it's both. It's faith that works by love and purifies the soul. But whose faith and whose works? You know that the gift of faith has come from God. It's not ours. God has given to every man a measure of faith, the measure of faith. And guess where the works come? From the same person. It's God's works through us. Not our works to impress Him. Let's go back and take a look at this again. The grand delusion centers in this faith and work combination. The first group that we've been talking about today believes that Jesus has done all the work necessary for man's salvation. Therefore, to be focused on any kind of religious works is a denial of one's faith in God's works. Therefore, they sit back and do nothing. The second group also believes that Jesus has done all that's necessary for man's salvation. But they believe that they are obligated to demonstrate their love to God for what he has done for them. Thus they live in strict obedience to God's word. Seeking to keep all of his commandments and laws. Including what we've talked about. The health laws. Especially the one that has to do with diet. The other seven natural doctors we seldom talk about. But the one that has to do with food, that's where our focus is. How about the one trust in divine power? Huh? When was the last time we trusted in God that what we ate would digest and would be okay? You see, beloved, what Satan has done to us, he's lied to both groups and taken advantage of their sinful, fallen human natures. He knows that the carnal heart will take advantage of God's free gift of salvation, providing it never has to change. Or be exchanged for a new heart, which will grow into a new life through Jesus Christ. Does that make sense to you? The old nature will be happy to become a Christian by name, as long as it's a free gift to salvation. The old man doesn't mind going from here right into heaven to pollute it. As long as there's no exchange of heart, I'll become a Christian. I'll claim God as my Savior. It's a free gift. And thus, Satan preaches a half truth or a false gospel, and millions are added to the church. Only believe, and your salvation is sure. And as for the second group, he takes advantage of their human pride. And self sufficiency. Don't miss this one, folks, because this is especially good for us Adventists. Are you aware in one one little book called Christ Object Lessons, page 154? Nice one to write down. There is nothing so offensive to God or so dangerous to the human soul as pride and self sufficiency. Of all sins, they're the most hopeless and the most incurable. Pride and self-sufficiency would probably be the number two sins of the Seventh-day Adventist church today you see we aren't about to just believe God that he saves us and then rest on his goodness because there's something inside of our old natures that say we need to let him know how much we appreciate that therefore whatever he asks I'll do Listen carefully again. It's this second group that Satan takes advantage of... ...with reference to pride and self-sufficiency... ...which thrives on self-exaltation. It's the natural desire... ...of this self-sufficient and human pride... ...to accomplish things... ...to conquer things... ...to win things... To be victorious over things. The human heart wants that. It longs for that. It fights for that. It's the American way. In fact, are you aware that our entire educational system, both public school and also parochial education, is geared in the great majority of its curriculum to exalt self, to exalt personal achievement and personal success, rather than laying self aside, making room for the power of the Holy Spirit in the life and giving God glory. We're not educated biblically. That's why Satan has such a tremendous advantage over us, because he can save us in our sins. Or at least he wants us to think we can be saved in our sins. While we're proud, egotistical, and lifted up, It's the natural desire again to succeed. And thus Satan stirs up these traits, putting millions into the path of works and obedience that they might secure for themselves a place in God's kingdom. And beloved, I've been there for the majority of my life, not because I was a bad man. It was because I wanted to be a good man. And I wanted to do it right. I wanted to do it perfectly so that God would be proud of me, so that God could look down on me and say, Oh, Willard, I'm so glad you conquered you achieved, you gained victory. and How short-lived those victories were. It's only now at the close of my ministry that I look back and say, God, I'm so sorry that I took my old man to church and tried to reform him, tried to get him to like you. And now I know why the battle has been so intense. It's because I needed to let him go. I needed to be yoked up with a brand new leader in my life. See, what Satan does not want either extreme to know is that both our title to heaven, our justification, and our fitness for heaven, our sanctification, are to be found in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Desire of Ages, page 300. It's not what we work out, it's what God works out in us. It's not what we do, it's what He does. And He will only do it, beloved, if we yield our lives to Him. If we totally let Him have us, including the old nature that wants the perks. And you know what God will do with Him? He'll render that man inoperative, He will put him to death. And that's why I say you have to let the old man go. He has to die. No more pride, no more self-sufficiency there. Satan also doesn't want us to know that God's plan is for His Holy Spirit to restore each of us into the image of our Creator, which involves not just our minds, but also our bodies as well. Now having said that, let me just quickly add this. Even though our minds may grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and even bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of God, our bodies will continue to die. We're not talking about holy flesh here. Some have tried that. Doesn't work. By the way, those two statements were Second Peter, chapter three, verse 18, and Second Corinthians chapter 10 and verse five. This is the way the Apostle Paul put it. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16, he says, We do not lose heart. We do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. What's he saying? Your body's dying. I don't care, beloved, how good of a health reformer you are. You are going to die. Paul says we don't lose heart even though we know our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Even though our bodies are getting older and weaker in many ways, beloved, Paul was not willing that we should surrender our bodies to the old man. Hear me now as I close. Notice what he writes in Romans chapter 6 verse 12. He says do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Your old nature will still remain until Jesus comes. You cannot get rid of him. He'll dog your steps in the casket behind you. In other words, he's like a dead person that you're carrying with you the rest of your life. Paul understood that. That's why he said, oh, for me to die is gain. Why? Because he would be free of the burden of the old nature that always dogged his steps, wanting to take control once again of his life. Wanting pride to reign and self-sufficiency to reign. And Paul says, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. He may remain, but he doesn't have to reign. That you should obey in its lust. You don't have to obey. Because, beloved, as a man thinketh, so is he. When God becomes your new thought, and when God puts his thoughts in your mind, and he shows you his ways and leads you in his ways, then the old man is put to rest. He has no more control over you. And now you walk in a brand new way and your body will respond to your mind. Is your body important? Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, by his deep compassion, that you present your bodies a living, ongoing sacrifice. Die to the old man and live for Jesus Christ, allowing him to make you holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So don't be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, Paul says, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? which you have of God, and you're not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. See, when we give ourselves to God, we give him our mind and our body. We give him everything. And he changes our mind and our body follows. And we will find good health if we let God do the discovery. If we'll do it in balances, he wants it to be done. If we'll take it step by step with God, he will lead us into all truth. I want you to turn with me in closing to our last text in the book of Romans for a moment and thus tie it all off as the apostle Paul under inspiration writes these words. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Paul says, But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. When do you suppose that life in your body is going to come? When you get to heaven? That's the way I always read that text. I always saw that as future tense. I always saw it as when Jesus comes we get glorified. I don't see that anymore as only being that moment in time. Beloved, I see it as an ongoing present experience. Notice the next verse. Therefore, he says, because of God's power that will... Come into you and give life to your mortal body. Therefore, he says, we are debtors. We are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. In other words, he's saying we don't have to live like we once lived. We don't have to eat what we once ate. We don't have to drink what we once drank. In fact, he says in verse 13, if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. If you live according to that old man and the old desires you used to have, you're going to die. But if you'll start living by the Spirit of God, you'll put to death, catch this, you'll put to death the deeds, the works of the body, and you'll live. No reason to be in ill health. Now, those times will come perhaps to some along the way, but God doesn't want us to be sick. He wants us to be in good health, not only physically, but mentally, because one affects the other. And so he's saying here, look... The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you and he'll keep your body. You don't have to do the deeds of the flesh anymore because your mind is new, it's with Jesus and your body will come along. Amen. Amen. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons and daughters of God. I want to be led by God, don't you? I want him to come and put that yoke around me. And then I want Him to lead me every step of the way in the rest of my life on this earth. Is that what you want? Father, as we bow our heads in prayer today, I just want to thank you for those who have responded today, that they want to yoke up with Jesus. They truly want Him to lead them all the way. I'm so grateful that we've seen Jesus. And that today we know that there is one who can give us rest and who can take away the weight of the burdens of this whole life. Father, today thank you for yoking up with each of us who have asked you to this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.